Simajaw is brought by Overcast, an independent podcast app for everyone. No paywalls, no premium content, just a podcast app for everyone. Get it for free in the App Store. And thank you! Listening to Cinema Jaw, the greatest movies podcast ever, recorded on location from our respective homes in Chicago. My name is Matt Kay, and with me is Rye the Movie Guy, and sitting alongside us is Filmy and Phil. How are we doing tonight, boys? This week on Cinema Jaw, Matt, we're trying something new. Cinema Jaw's first ever movie draft. I, I like this, man. So wait, so you get movie drafted and then you have to like play a soldier in a war. Is that how it goes? The movie no, draft? Absolutely not at all. Oh, oh, so this is like a movie draft. Like you pour a big frosty mug of movie and then you drink it straight nope. from the tap. Missed again, Matt. It's funny because I could see you actually having a tough time with this because you probably have never played fantasy football. True. Um, well, does that super tech mobile count? No, I'm talking actual fantasy football. <laughs> no, I have no idea what that is. Is that like so, Dungeons and Dragons kind of, but for, for jocks? To a degree. It really is. Do they have but, swords and like wizards and stuff? Uh, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. So <laughs> obviously the idea of fantasy football is that these fans of football get around right around this time of year and they draft players from all over the league and they construct their own team and then they you know can yes. win money at the end of the year you get right. the idea no, i kid of course i'm i'm familiar with this i see them they come to the, i've worked in bars for like the last 30 years so they come to the bars and i've seen these guys yeah right so so there's it's big in all circles believe it or not i've only played one year myself i never got into the fantasy football craze and i am a sports guy but it was just not my thing however we wanted to jump in on the fun and draft and and you know do selections and our new theme this month, I'm going to spoil it, is Robert Zemeckis. And he has a new film coming out this month on Disney+. Plus. It's a remake of Pinocchio. And a live-action adaptation, Ryan. Correct. When we looked at his filmography, it was the perfect one to start at. We are going to do a, a movie draft on Robert Zemeckis films. So we're basically trying to select... Uh, the best team or the best group of five films that Robert Zemeckis has directed. It's sort of Matt against me and, and Phil will weigh in on who he thinks made the best choice, you know? Yeah. Who, who wins the Super Bowl of, of Robert Zemeckis movies? Exactly. You're coming over to my house to watch these five movies or you're going over to Matt's house and watching these five movies. Which house would you go over and which movies would you rather watch? You know? Right. Well, I, I think I've got the, uh, the odds on advantage here because I did win the coin flip. So I, I think I got this thing in the bag, right? Right. Matt is drafting first. So we'll see how this plays out. I, I, I did mock drafts earlier. I'm nervous about losing to Matt on this. We'll see how it plays out. But I got a strategy. <laughs> I have a strategy, Matt. I don't know how you can have a strategy at this, but okay. We'll, we'll see how this goes. This is going to be an interesting new segment. Besides that, we have more going on, don't we, Phil? Yeah, you already blew my wad for me, but it is Robert Zemeckis month. So not only are we doing this cool, interesting top five slash fantasy draft list, we're also coming at you with a new fact uh, and a new clip. 
sorry, we hate to see you go, but it was time for us to leave Sylvester Stallone behind. He'll be back. Uh, and we have two reviews this week. One is a retro review of Robert Zemeckis' famous Who Framed Roger Rabbit? And the other is a new film called I Came By. In honor of the wonderful film Who Framed Roger, Roger Rabbit, I thought Matt stumped the Kabinsky it'd be a good time to play modern noir movie trivia. Oh, okay. All right. I'm in. I like me some noir. Get thinking about that. Okay. This past Saturday was Movie Cinema Day, National Movie Day, National Cinema Day. I don't know what the hell they're calling it. But they should it call seemed, it Cinema Jaw Day. That's what right? they should call it. Yeah. Let's throw that in there. Celebrate, get, get really to the heart of what people are celebrating. But right. I love that finally the movies have a day because it seems everything has, has a day, right? Oh, boy. I, yes, I, it does. I, I was waking up and I would throw on one of the local news stations here in Chicago as I was getting ready. And I swear for about a month... Uh, during the broadcast, every day they would uh, end the hour with saying, hey, it's National Cupcake Day. Get out there and enjoy a cupcake. I thought it was a gag. I thought this was a joke. I was like, boy, they, they say something so stupid at the end of every broadcast. Right. Then I came to realize, no, everything has a national day nowadays. Mm -hmm. So why the hell wouldn't the movies have a national day? Yeah, I don't think this is new, Ryan. I mean, I work in social media, so I have to know all these hashtag holidays. Um, sometimes they're relevant. Some are more serious than others, but I'm pretty sure national film or national cinema day has been around uh, maybe even international film or cinema day. There's a national podcast day, for example, Th throw it in the fish tank, Phil early, early one in there. When was the first national movie day or national film day, but three dollar movies all across the country, AMC, multiple theaters participating in this. I hope it sticks. Get out there and see a movie over Labor Day weekend on national movie day is a pretty cool thing. Yeah, it's kind of like free comic book day, man. So one, one of my favorites. All right. I, I'm, I'm on board for that, Ryan. Good stuff. All right. Let's kick this jaw off with a Robert Zemeckis fact. Let me start it before I even throw it over to Phil. Matt, are you aware that Bob Zemeckis is from Chicago? Bobby. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. You blew my mind when you told me at the beginning uh, before we hit record. But that makes a lot of sense. He's, he's grew, a great director, and he's from a great city. Grew up in Chicago, went to high school here, and even early part of college, and then transferred out to Los Angeles uh, to go to film school out there, but had no tie-ins with Hollywood, from my understanding. Very much a Midwest family that grew up uh, not making movies, not, none of this kind of stuff, but he was attracted to the idea of making films with an 8 millimeter camera that his parents had, and then decided to go and pursue that. But as he stated in interviews, like it, it was like stunning. You know, this was not something anybody in his family ever said they were going to do was I was going out to make movies. And then he became one of the bigger directors of uh, the last 50 years. No doubt about it. Uh, that's a cool fact, man. I mean, I've always said that Chicago is one of the best cities on earth. And it's just one more reason, frankly. So we turn it over to Phil. What do we got for a Zemeckis fact? Yeah, bringing Chicago even more into the focus with the Cubs' central uh, Back to the Future. Uh, Robert Zemeckis has gone on record as saying that he was originally not going to do a sequel to Back to the Future, uh, and that if he had known that uh, that was even an option, he wouldn't have left 
the ending of it as open-ended as it was he just thought that was a funny way to end the movie but once they started planning the sequel and he chose to remain involved in that work obviously that spanned two different sequels he went on to say that like there was like some slight revisionist mentality where he's like i he wishes that he hadn't had jennifer and uh, marty's girlfriend in the car with marty at the end of the first film uh so that way, the second movie would have been able to have concentrated on Marty, and it would have been about him and Doc, like it was supposed to be. Uh, Reach, he would really just kind of get in the way. So to get around that, he had Doc knock her out and get left behind very, very early in the second film. Just a, a lesson that there's always more than one way to skin a cat. Sometimes you can just knock somebody unconscious, and that solves your problem. You certainly could in... 1991 or whenever back to the future came out that was well, okay yeah, whatever happened to knocking people unconscious right? as, a, as a means of conflict resolution well i've heard this before because i think when it ended we all assumed oh there's going to be a sequel um but i i, I see what he's saying it, in in hindsight if he was really thinking that he wouldn't have put the girlfriend in the car because she I, really had nothing to do in the sequel you know Dude, speaking of revisionist history, uh, let's not all act like Robert Zemeckis was shocked that they greenlit a sequel. I, I mean, he ended the movie with the words to be continued. I mean, come on. He intended it. He intended it. Hmm. It says that that was for a joke. Okay. Uh, I'm not buying that. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. I guess the hype. for that joke to be like stick, it kind of has to be true. Uh. It's, you know, uh, it's I, not I, funny if it actually was continued. Right, right. Speaking of Robert Zemeckis, Matt and I decided to kick off Robert Zemeckis month. Going back and looking at one of his brilliant films, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yeah, Ryan. Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Back in 1988, an 11-year-old Matt Kay saw a strange film by Robert Zemeckis under Disney's Touchstone banner, and produced by Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment. It was a strange film in that it was an L.A. noir murder mystery, complete with an alcoholic private dick. Only in this world, animated characters, toons, and humans coexist. Add to my confusion my budding feelings for Jessica Rabbit, we'll get to her, and I was flummoxed. Nevertheless, Who Framed Roger Rabbit was a huge hit, not just with me and my pubescent peers. It went on to be the second highest grossing film of 1988, just behind Rain Man, and won three Academy Awards for VFX, SFX, as well as a Special Achievement Award from the Academy. No one had ever seen anything like it. I mean, it's fair to call the movie groundbreaking. <clears throat> In fact, Terry Gilliam was even offered the chance to direct, but he found the project too technically challenging. Robert Zemeckis was hired to direct in 1985 based on the success of his Romancing the Stone and Back to the Future films. Now, the year is 1922, and 34 years have gone by. Does Roger Rabbit still hold up? Are those groundbreaking effects still fun to watch? Do I still kind of have the hots for Jessica Rabbit? Ryan and I took the streetcar to Toontown to find out. This is the tale of an up-and-coming movie star named Roger Rabbit and a down-and-out private detective Stay out! named Eddie Valiant. Ooga booga! Every moment they were together ah! was a new adventure in trouble. Hide me, Eddie! Please! 
It's a motion picture about oh, friendship. Daddy, I'm getting it! Daddy, Daddy, please! Daddy, don't tell me I'm making a big mistake! Love. <laughs> Compassion. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I yanked your ears. All the time you yanked my ears? Murder. Marvin Acme. A rabbit cacked him last night. Remember, you never saw me. Sex. I'd do anything for my husband, Mr. Valiant. Anything. And Tunes gets them every time. I'm not going to rehash the plot for you. It's right there in the title. Roger Rabbit gets framed for murder, and it's up to tune-hating, hard-drinking P.I. Eddie Valiant, played by the late, great Bob Hoskins of Super Mario Brothers fame, among many other better titles, to save the day. The juxtaposition of cartoons and human beings in the same world is played for clever satire and cheap gags alike. This is a rare comedy that is way smarter than it has any business being. 34 years after the release, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit still holds up perfectly. The performances were strong, and the, VX, and the VFX were so good that they still look great even all these years later. I think the lack of CGI sort of played in the favor of the filmmakers in that way. To ensure the characters look real, Zemeckis and Spielberg met for an hour and a half and came up with an idea. So if, Rob, if Roger sits in a chair, dust has to come up. He should always be touching something real, etc., etc. One of the most difficult effects in the film was Jessica Rabbit's dress in the nightclub scene because it had to flash sequins, an effect that they accomplished by filtering light through a plastic bag scratched with steel wool. If you can believe that, that's what they had to work with back then. One thing that I didn't know until this reviewing is that the film is based on a novel. That novel call, is called Who Censored Roger Rabbit? And it was written in 1981 by Gary K. Wolf, who's since written two sequels and had a rocky relationship with the big mouse. So what about the breakout star of the movie, Jessica? Is she still the sex symbol that she was in 1988? Heck yeah. She hasn't aged a day, in fact. Author Gary K. Wolf based Jessica primarily on the cartoon character Red from Tex Avery's Red Hot Riding Hood. The film version of the character was inspired by various actresses. Richard Williams, the animation director, explained, I tried to make her like Rita Hayworth. We went with her hair from Veronica Lake. And Zemeckis kept saying, what about that look Lauren Bacall had? He described the combination as the ultimate male fantasy as drawn by a cartoonist. Before Robert Zemeckis was brought on board as director, Jessica had a different design. In fact, there's a little Easter egg that I noticed on this rewatch. If you pause and look closely at the newspaper featuring Eddie Valiant's photo of Jessica and the Acme guy playing patty cake, you can see the original character design in the photo. But I'm glad they changed her. When Zemeckis was hired, he brought along Kathleen Turner to voice Jessica, who he had worked with on Romancing the Stone. In a 2017 interview, Turner who went uncredited in the movie, stated that she accepted the role because she was pregnant at the time and she just had to show up and do her voice. And to this day, she signs more pictures of Jessica Rabbit than she does of herself. Last point on Jessica. With the Laserdisc released on of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Variety reported in March 1994 that Jessica was depicted nude for a few frames of animation, undetectable when played at the usual rate of 24 film frames per second, but visible when advancing through the film frame by frame. Snopes examined it and reported that although the scene does exist where Jessica's dress is hiked up and her underwear disappears for a few frames, it could be either unintentional or a coloration error. 
Nevertheless, the scene drove sales of the Laserdisc release. Many retailers reported that due to the reports of nudity from the media, including CNN and newspapers, their entire inventories of the Laserdisc sold out in minutes. Sources from Disney told Variety that the company was unlikely to do anything about the frames and that the film is not intended for children regardless. Clearly, Jessica touched some kind of nerve in the zeitgeist. Nothing about this old movie feels old, or at least any older than a film set in 1947 felt in 1988. The jokes are timeless and still relevant today. The effects were so masterfully done at the time that they hold up quite well. Who Framed Roger Rabbit is truly a unique and special film. Others have tried to emulate it, but I think the filmmakers just caught lightning in a bottle. It can never be replicated. Wow, that is some review, Matt. I mean, I had not seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit as an adult. And while I liked it as a kid, I don't think I fully appreciated its brilliance. Watching it with a critic's eye and knowing what went into this film for it to be made and look as good as it does, a hell of an accomplishment, I have to say. The writing is sharp, like you mentioned. The live action mixed with the hand-drawn animation still looks good, it, uh, amazingly. I love the noir setting. The two main humans, one you didn't mention, Bob Haskins and Christopher Lloyd, were perfect. Sure. Especially Christopher Lloyd. He had fun, and we could see that he was having fun with it. And I love when that happens, when an actor like gets into a role like that. This is a real special film, and I am so glad we picked this as a retro review because it's outstanding, and I hadn't seen it in so long that I can finally now watch it and say, yes, this is an amazing accomplishment in, in cinema. It is. It, it's funny. Lloyd was, was not the first choice to play Doom. And I, I'm going to have to throw that in the fish tank because I can't remember exactly who they were looking at. But nor was Bob Hoskins the first choice to play Eddie Valiant, you know. So Zemeckis got like his third and fourth choices to play these main characters. And it was just the right choices. Um, maybe because they weren't such huge A-listers, they kind of, I mean, Christopher Lloyd was certainly big, but he's not like what you would think of as a leading man or even a leading villain. <clears throat> they just knocked it out of the park. I agree. There's something timeless about this movie. So there's so many great moments with the uh, animated characters and, and live action mixed together. Do you have a favorite of, of those that are, and I'm not talking about your jaw-dropping moment, but just a favorite moment in there where the, the live action and the animated is, is almost so seamless, it's, it's perfect? Yeah, there's, uh, well, there's a few really good examples, but my favorite one uh, is is the gun when when he opens up this case and there's an animated six shooter in there and he he opens up a little compartment and there's six anthropomorphic bullets <laughs> and he just flicks open the cylinder and these bullets you know he's like come on boys and they jump into the gun one by one and then he clicks his hand again kind of flicks his wrist and the cylinder closes obviously they must have rotoscoped and it's in some scenes you can tell it's a prop and not animated but that looks so good. It was just seamless. Like his hand movement and the animation match perfectly. How about this one? And, and what I wrote down for my favorite, and I'm still just impressed on, on how well it looked, is when at one point Roger Rabbit comes out of a closet and handcuffs himself to Bob Haskins. And a whole sequence then takes place with these two handcuffed together. And for, for starters, I mean, the handcuff has to like be 
you know, outward from, from, from Bob Haskins arm, even though there's not a character there holding that. So that it looked really well done. And then I think part of Zemeckis's brilliance is that he doesn't show it that much because I think if you looked at it long enough, you would realize that it's fake and you'd real, you'd see the animation come through. Instead, he gives it to you enough so we know what's happening, but then he also hides it in the scene where it would make sense because then the bad guys come into the room. And so at one point he's trying to hide Roger Rabbit and he's basically trying to act like he's doing dishes and pushing his Roger Rabbit underneath the sink water. And so it all works so that it's not always on the screen, but again, it's showing enough. And and when it's shown, it's, it's magical on screen. I I love it. And of course it ends with the joke that Roger Rabbit could have got out of the handcuff at any time he wanted. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Cause he's a tune. Uh, you know, what else in, happens in that scene with the weasels where he's doing the dishes is the exact opposite, the reverse of my pick, where an animated character, one of the weasels, is carrying a real prop gun. And you see the shadow cast by the actual physical prop and the shadow of the animated character, which obviously they had to animate. It just fits so smooth and seamlessly. Maybe you can kind of tell that the gun is being held up by a wire a little bit, but the suspension of disbelief, it, it works for me. It's pretty amazing what they achieved. And, and you were talking about um, the, the gown and how they, they pulled off this uh, effect that, you know, Jessica Rabbit Plastic bag and steel wool. Yeah. It, it, crazy. But I, I noticed that throughout the film, they use a lot of like reflections in... in uh, with the animation being reflected elsewhere. So even we get that piano uh, scene where it's uh, Daffy Duck and who's and playing Donald, the other piano? Donald yeah, it's Duck. Donald and it is. It is Donald and Daffy. And they're they're playing the, the pianos. And even like on the floor going out towards the uh, crowd of the bar, we can see the reflection of these animated characters. And it, it helps us believe that these two elements are coexisting by seeing that reflection right next to somebody talking on the ground. It makes you think that, yes, they are all in the same room together. It's amazing how, how much you believe it. Yeah. And of course, like this has been done many, many, many times since I, I can't think of a great example right off the top of my head, I guess like uh, space jam mm-hmm. for, for lack of a better example, but never has it been so special and captured so well as in who framed Roger Rabbit. Like, I just don't think anybody else quite made tunes and people sing together quite as well as Zemeckis and crew did. I agree. Um, Looking at the notes here, in evaluating their top 10 films of 1988, both Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert listed who framed Roger Rabbit in their top 10. Siskel ranked it at number two of the year. Roger Ebert had it number eight. So, Critics were all over this as well. It was high praised at the time then, and I think it's just aged incredibly well. No arguments for me, Ryan. Should we get into our uh, jaw-dropping moments? What do you got, Matt? Um, for me, and I know I spent a lot of time talking about her during my review, but this holds up. It's just it's when Jessica Rabbit sings in the nightclub. Uh, she sings the song "Do Right," which is just a great song, and you know. It's easy to see why a generation kind of fell in love with this character. You know, her her sheer charisma. It's, it's great. So I was, I, I love that scene as well. And also Betty Boob pops up yes. in that one scene also, which is a hilarious Still got gag. It, Betty. <laughs> That's great. But 
also I love Christopher Lloyd's reveal as being as e- the the <laughs> more evil than he possibly could have been. And it happens near the end of the film, and he turns around and he says, "Remember me, Eddie." And these eyes, these red <laughs> eyes, are now animated. It looks hilarious. I mean, and and Christopher Lloyd, I think that's when I realized, like, he's great throughout, but in that particular scene, that's when I say, yeah, Christopher Lloyd was the absolute right choice to play the villain because he knocks it out of the park right then. It's hysterical. It looks great. Uh, It's that crazy kind of Doc Brown character that Christopher Lloyd can play, but this time with, like, an evil tone to it. I love that moment. I got a nitpick. I have one nitpick. Uh, why does Judge Doom is the villain? Okay, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it. Why does he kill RK Maroon with that long pistol, but everybody else's MO is dropping safes and pianos on their head? Yeah, why do you got to nitpick everything, Matt? I'm just nitpicking, man. Hey, I'm a critic. I'm a film critic. How about a movie poster quote? I'm really simple, man. Roger Rabbit holds up. What do you got? I went with Zemeckis's first masterpiece. Is that true? I, I don't know if that's true. Pretty that sure Back be. to the Future came out earlier. Did it? <laughs> All right, then I'd go, if it did come out before it, then I would go with Zemeckis's second masterpiece. Yeah, it's definitely one of his masterpieces for sure. Yeah. Back to the Future came out three years earlier. You are right. You and are so right. did Romancing the Stone, dude. But which that's is, not a masterpiece. It's, it's close. I, I like it, but it's not a masterpiece. Yeah, not not in probably, the level of Roger Rabbit right. and Back to the Future. So I'll say Zemeckis' second masterpiece would be my quote. Before we uh, award our stars, yeah. because it's a retro review, I know Phil likes to do a little extra research on some odd facts that we didn't know about Roger Rabbit. Was anything in your research, Phil, not mentioned here? There's some good stuff. There's a lot of good stuff, actually. So for the first time ever, and the only time ever... Not even within the, the, the newest Chip and Dale movie, which is kind of a similar like genre, I guess you would call it. Uh, this is the first and only time that cartoon characters from Disney properties and Warner Brothers properties have appeared on screen together at the same time. I know Matt was talking about the Daffy Duck and Donald Duck. Well, that was Ryan talking about that. But yeah. There's, yeah, oh, there's, yes, yes. That's probably never going to happen again. That was it's truly adding to the magic of that moment. And when you think back on it, right, especially now that everybody's so protective of their IPs and their their like copyrights Mm -hmm. with the streaming wars. Yeah, that's insane. It really is. That kind of collaboration existed ever. And one Uh, of the things going back and watching this was I was shocked how many properties are involved. You know, how many characters are in the movie? I was thinking it was a lot more generic or newer characters but there are a lot of old characters even woody woodpecker pops up at the end of this movie um in in a little bit of a cameo yes right near the end he comes in with his laugh no way god i don't i didn't notice that man Mm -hmm. good good eagle eye or woodpecker eye is the case would be uh that's that's Uh, great any other facts phil oh we got a lot more so going Every single frame, every single frame of this movie that featured uh, a combination of animation and live action. I know we've talked about the different ways that they tried to pull that off before. Uh, In order for them to actually get this 
animated, they had to print out photographs of each recorded, like captured still. Uh, and then an animator would draw the, the illustrate would draw the animated frame on top of tracing paper, uh, over the photo and just kind of outline what's going on in the scene. Uh, and then they had to hand color all of that. And then once that was done, they had to composite these stills and these cells back onto the original frame using an optical printer, uh, which I've done similar things to this before. And I do think it's, it's crazy how blessed we are now to think that, and I don't know what else I would have expected back in 88 for them to have done, but the amount of work that went into, yeah, idiots, (laughs) what's wrong with these dummies? What, you didn't chroma key this on? It it seems what? so so vast and long. I I it boggles my mind that they even got it done. Yeah, well, and that's the thing that's crazy too. Imagine printing out every frame of a movie. Uh, I, I give those people so much credit. That had to have been exhausting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this this one's actually really cool. This one's hilarious and awesome, especially when paired with that last fact. Full sized rubber rubber models of Roger Rabbit were used as stand in for this film uh and it was with the intention of giving like the real life actors uh, like a sense of scale and and, and, like who the yeah and who they're talking to and like where roger would be uh but that's that's so funny that i that's also a, a credit i give these animators right is having to draw over that so the rubber thing isn't seen uh must have also been laborious and make sure that none i mean sure similar to jessica's panties or whatever right some fucking creep could some total creep could go through frame by frame and be like oh here's where you can see the rubber rogers foot but (laughs) that's the stuff that dreams are made of phil that's the stuff that dreams are made speaking okay here's another thing that's crazy so the tunnel that eddie valiant takes to reach toontown and and enter that dreamlike state is the same tunnel that they used in back to the future 2's hoverboard race which makes sense it's robert zemeckis right the location scouting probably didn't cost him anything the animation budget for this film's through the roof but they just yeah they used the same tunnel uh which is crazy now i kind of want to go back and watch uh, uh, back to the Future Two, and be like, "Hey, wait a second, that is." Yeah. Why? Why didn't he come out into Toontown on his hoverboard? <laughs> uh, and then, okay, the last one that I have for everybody. So, and this is directly from Roger Robert Zemeckis himself. Uh, a, a major brewing company offered to pay the filmmakers one hundred thousand dollars to have their name written on the liquor bottle uh that roger drinks very early in the film uh however even though robert zemeckis reminded this company that roger turns into a steam whistle after taking the shot and it's not going to be the most uh glamorous it's not going to be the advertising they may want the brewing company replied and said that they don't care because they thought the publicity would be priceless uh ultimately that product placement didn't happen uh it was being distributed by touchstone pictures a division of disney and and the big d put a kibosh on that they use uh, real liquor they use real liquor like uh, he drinks wild turkey i happen to notice ah interesting so wild turkey does pop up in there it does for whatever that's worth. I don't know if that's what uh, Roger drinks, to be fair. No, but... I, I agree. I think that bottle is blank. It, you know, just like a 
yeah, like generic some, somebody whatever. in somebody's it, office, like a, bot, exactly. like a decanter. That's exactly. It. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, so we're, we're both in agreement that this film is excellent. How many jaws are you given this one, Matt Kay? This is a masterpiece. It's a four jaw movie all the way. And, and that is four jaws, 2022. So four jaws still. I am, I am right with you. Four jaws for Ride the movie guy as well. The great thing here, Jawheads, is Who Framed Roger Rabbit is streaming on Disney Plus. So if you have a subscription, fire it up, give it a spin. It is Robert Zemeckis month here on Cinema Jaw. We will be celebrating the man all month long. So kick it off with Roger Rabbit. As we said at the top of the show, Matt, our first ever movie draft. We're going to do this live. This has not been... uh, picked out so i don't know Ryan, what I matt's hope you're going wearing to pick. a cup because i'm about to kick you where the sun don't shine man. i don't know what matt's going to pick but i came up with a, a little bit of a strategy here i got numbers listed i got uh, graphs drawn i know where i'm going with my picks again we're picking five films matt has first pick these are only of robert zemeckis directed films matt the ball is in your court Okay. I mean, first pick, Back to the Future. It's kind of a no-brainer. I don't know what else you would pick first. I mean, that's that's like when you're picking your basketball team on the, on the playground, you, you pick the six-foot-four kid. Come on. <clears throat> Back to the Future. That's my pick, Rye. I figured um, once I understood that you had first pick that Back to the Future would be gone. Would and you it, not have picked Back to the 100%, Future first? 100%. There's, there's no arguing there. So then I, I'm eliminating that one right off the bat. I think at that point it really comes down to only one other pick that you would also say is a number one draft pick, I believe. And if I didn't pick this and you got it on your, your team and you had Back to the Future and this particular film then I think the whole draft is over. So I got to select this one at number one. And that is his 1994, mind you, Oscar winning for best picture and Oscar winning for best director, Forrest Gump with my first pick. All right. So I got Forrest Gump, my first pick. Yeah. And you have Back to the Future. This is where things are going to start to get interesting because I do believe those were the two easiest picks for one and one. Boom, boom. Mm-hmm. Your second pick. What are you thinking here, Matt? Hmm. I mean, we just talked up who framed Roger Rabbit so much. That might be a smart way to go. But I think that that that's probably fool's gold when you look at his entire filmography. Even though it's a masterpiece, there's a couple I would put above it. And now this is tricky, Rye. Do you go back-to-back Tom Hanks picks? Or do you go with Doc and Marty again and pick Back to the Future 2, the movie that predicted the Cubs' World Series win? Wow. A lot, lot to pick from here for a second mm. pick. Yeah, this is, I think, the key pick. I really do. This is the one that makes you or breaks you. But if you're doing a marathon, you can't do a marathon without picking one of the best sequels of all time, next to Godfather 2, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. Back to the Future 2 gave us the wow. hoverboard. I did not see this coming. I'm going to be absolutely honest. This is a shocker for me here. 
See, I'm throwing you off your game. You thought you had me all figured out. Yeah. I, so I assigned numbers to all the movies where I thought they would probably go. That was much higher on my list. I, I, I thought that would go in the third or fourth round. I didn't think that would go at number two. So that gives me a bit of a selection here that I didn't think I was going to have at number two. And I know the Tom Hanks movie you were referring to mm-hmm. as I have a, a little number two dash next to that. But I also do have a number two next to Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and we just talked that movie up so much that, Matt, I am taking that as my second pick. Who Framed uh, Roger Rabbit is now on my team, buddy. I think that might be a mistake there, Ryan, because Castaway, while not quite as heartwarming as Who Framed Roger Rabbit, is arguably a much better movie. Um Wilson, I mean, Tom Hanks, that's the one that really, like, if you say name the best Tom Hanks performance, sure, you can make an argument for Forrest Gump, but he's alone in Castaway. He's just, it's just Tom Hanks. And God damn it, it's, it's two of the best hours I've ever seen on the, on the big screen. So I'm picking Castaway in my third round. Man, that one hurts. I, I really wanted Castaway on my team. I, I was hoping that you were going to go some, I know, but between Roger Rabbit and Castaway, Oh, I had to go Roger Rabbit, but I really did want Castaway. That really, that pains me. That's a tough one. Mm. All right, so I still have my third pick here, and I have two here with a three on it, and I don't think one of them you, you would ever select, so I think I can move that one down to picking it fourth or fifth, which leaves this one at my number three. Oh, man. It's tough, man. Sophie's Choice over here. And I think I know what you're what you're wrestling with. Wow. I, I think you would select this next film up here next. Let's see what happens here. I am going complete. I, you know, I did mock drafts. I had all these graphs ready to go. I'm not following any of the logic now. Now I'm it's just trying the to window. Sp- I'm trying to spoil Matt now. Um, oh man, what do I do here? It's like Mike Tyson says, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Mm. Mm. I don't know what you would do if this film is gone. I have no clue what you're picking with your fourth pick. So that's, I'm going to play this strategy and I'm going to select romancing the stone with my number three pick. That is a good pick. I'm Uh, not going to lie. What if that was available? Am I right? You would have picked that next. No, you're not right. You're not right. As much as I love Romancing the Stone, first of all, I don't know how... You were just saying yourself that it's not a masterpiece, and he still has a masterpiece left. He, he does? Has, he does. Maybe even two. Yeah, you, <laughs> you're, you're off your rocker. I'm, I'm not looking off my at his rocker. list. I, I honestly think you could make a case for, for, for Beowulf as a masterpiece. <laughs> God. I love I that movie. I, I love it, but it's not a masterpiece. Well, it might be. It's certainly it's certainly a touchstone. But I think the wonderful Denzel Washington performance in the movie Flight definitely is better and more relevant today than Romancing the Stone. As much as I love Romancing the Stone, let's be honest, it's kind of Indiana Jones light. So I am going with Flight as my number four draft pick. Wow. Wow. I figured this would make its way onto your team at some point. But if I'm being honest with you, I think you could even held that out for your number five because I don't think I would have selected flight at all. True story. Mm. All right. Well, let's see where you go okay. next. 
So you got flight. Let's eliminate that. I actually think, believe it or not, that Back to the Future 3 is better than Back to the Future 2. I really do That's believe that. That's just bonkers. That's just nonsense. That's I nonsense. love it. It's not the confusing going to the future, to the past, all the weird uh, tangents. Three is back to the fun, into the old west. You got this idea of himself calling himself uh, Clint Eastwood. The, the train sequence pushing the DeLorean at the end is absolutely incredible. And if you're coming over to my house thinking of this as like a, a, a mini film festival, I should have some representation of Back to the Future. So with my fourth pick, I'm taking Back to the Future 3. You're taking the weakest Back to the Future. That's no. that's that's like picking uh, Eli Manning instead of Peyton Manning, you know? You're getting the weakest of, of the bunch there. Peyton won two Super Bowls, so I'll take it. How many it. did Eli win? Two. Both won two. Both won two. We're okay. But everybody likes Back to the Future 2 better than Back to the Future 3. No. You're, I'm... you're way alone on that, Ryan. You're no. way alone on that. All right. So so recapping here for the Jawheads, uh, if they lost track, we got one pick left each. Matt has Back to the Future, Back to the Future 2, Castaway, and Flight. Ride the Movie Guy has Forrest Gump, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Romancing the Stone, and Back to the Future 3. I'm really liking my picks here. You got Boy, one I, pick I, to so try I, to save buddy. yours. You got one pick to save yours. Save mine, huh? All right, here's the thing. I think you need an oddball choice, and especially now that we've knocked off the big, big names, right? And I did mention Beowulf, um, and, and I, stand, I stand by that as, as one of my more fa personal favorite Zemeckis films. I'm also quite partial to Death Becomes Her, but it was very poorly received. I think where you go is a movie that almost plays like, a, like an indie film, uh, even though it stars Harrison Ford, and it is a, a crazy little horror sci-fi movie called What Lies Beneath. Wow. You're going I, with that for your fifth. Yeah. It's, it's uh, I think, a, a damn good movie. It's a little underappreciated, but I think the people that like it, like it a lot. Mm. That's where I'm going. So predictable, Matt. You are so predictable. You need I to had get that, a horror on here. I yeah. had that listed at, at, at as a possible number five, but in parentheses, I wrote, Matt will select this pick. I knew yeah, you would right, take this. But dude, you didn't know that I would take Back to the Future 2 as my number two. No, and I didn't think you would take it that high. It's not that good of a film to be the second best Robert Zemeckis film. You, Actually, you, I think it probably you is. Have, you have too much weight on Back to the Future 2. Your well, whole you team took is relying stuff. on Back to the Future 2. It's ridiculous. Whatever. You took three. At that point, you should have just left Back to the Future off your list. No, I needed a, some touchstone of it. All right, here we go. My last pick. I had it as high as number three, but I knew you wouldn't select it so I could take it last with ease. I believe it contains Jodie Foster's third best performance of her career. I love this movie. I've talked about it numerous times on Cinema Jaw. I've read Carl Sagan's book. I love the book. I love the movie. My last pick is Contact, 1997. I got a great sci-fi film on my list. I feel really good with my, my five. Contact is a, is a good movie, and I know you love it. I left it for you. But honestly, you. I feel really good with my five, I, and I would pick them all again. I would change nothing. I feel really good about mine. I mean, what threw me off the biggest is that you took Back to the Future 2, too with your second pick that, right. that was threw me for a loop because I thought you would take romancing the stone to be honest. 
I would have, I would have taken Forrest Gump. That's the only one on your roster that I really wish I had. Mm. Um, what about Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Come on, you just called it a masterpiece and gave it four. It is jaws. a masterpiece. That's there how good go. Zemeckis is. Um, for sure, man. None of these uh, movies are bad. No, I, I, I mean these are. If I had to watch all five of these movies, your five or my five, I'd be happy. So again, quick recap as we throw this to Phil and see what he thinks. Who he would want to see the five films? Matt, Back to the Future one and two. Castaway, Flight, What Lies Beneath, and I came down with Forrest Gump, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Romancing the Stone, Back to the Future 3, and Contact. I mean, I think I'm, I'm, I'm the winner by far, but Phil, what do you think? I don't think so. Thing? Well, you guys picked a very partial judge, is all I'll say. And both of you have failed because I, while I agree it's maybe not the Don't say objectively Polar best. No, <laughs> okay, similar vein. What I think my favorite Zemeckis movie is Monster House. I watch it every mm-hmm. October. I think Monster House is awesome. He not is directed not the director. By, he is not the director. Really? No, he is not That's the, good to the know. director. Yeah. All right. Not director. All right. Well, then I'll forgive the two of you and I'm a little less hurt. Here's the problem. Here's the problem, right? There's pros and cons to everybody's list, right? You guys are going against each other. Matt's got a lot of flight and aviation right between hoverboards, planes, crashed planes. I'm sick of the planes. (laughs) But Ryan does have Back to the Future 3, which just like in that marathon is kind of weird in that it's just three. You don't have the other two. (laughs) I got the two good Back to the Future movies. Not only that, you got the two sequential ones. Also true. Right? Like, you could watch Matt's list without missing anything. Bingo. But, personally, I do think Forrest... I'm partial to Forrest Gump over Back to the Future, personally. This is tough. This is really tough. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Come on. This... This... Okay, and here's what I'll say also. As as a former um, always picked last in gym class kid, I can look at this situation and realize, okay, there's a reason I was picked last, and there is a lot of pressure on my plate right now, and I, <laughs> I have to pick somebody last. You're, you're Sorry, you're, Matt. I'm picking Ryan's list. Yes! You're, you're junior <laughs> high Phil today. Wow, and Matt had first pick. This is fantastic. Yeah, we. I, I knew. I knew Phil wouldn't be good at judging this. You know, <laughs> total Blame wild it on card. Phil. Blame total it on wild Phil. card. That's it's Matt, all because my, you know, Matt's fine, taller. It's Matt fine. made the basketball analogy, and <laughs> I picked the shortest person. If I, I, I don't know, if Ryan had lost, he would have been so salty. The rest of the show would have been really awkward. No, so I'm kind of no. glad. I'm kind of glad he won. Jawheads, we want to hear from you. Whose pick do you, do you like best here? Do you like Matt's five or my five? We'll include some of your comments uh, throughout the month. So write us, feedback at cinemajaw.com, or you can hit us up on Twitter. We are at Cinemajaw. We are going to take a break, and when we come back, we have another review, a Netflix movie entitled I Came By. Plus, we are going to play Stump the Kabinsky. Stick with us. Kicking off Robert Zemeckis month, I wanted to pick a clip from his earlier part of his career, and I landed on 1984's Romancing the Stone. One of the great things this film has is the chemistry between leads Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner, and you see it in the film early on 
when Kathleen Turner is trying to negotiate with Michael Douglas to help her out. This is absolutely hilarious. Please, I need your help. That's my new career. It's very... Lady, lady. Half a year's work just flew south for the winter, all right? My Jeep is totaled. In about five minutes, everything I own in the world is going to be wet. So can you lighten up, please? I really don't have the time. I'll pay you. You don't understand. It's a matter of life and death. If I don't get to How my How much? Fifty dollars? Oh, shit. Well, you, you said you just lost everything you owned. Not my sense of humor. Well, I'll pay you a hundred dollars. Two hundred dollars. I'll do it. Five. What? I'll pay you $250. Now, I ain't cheap, but I can't be had. My minimum price for taking a stranded woman to a telephone is $400. Will you take $375 in traveler's checks? American Express? Of course. Our deal. Cinema Jaws brought to you by underrated it's a podcast made by three friends that discusses films that they feel are underrated underappreciated and even ones that have slipped under the radar and passed most people by they have new episodes every other monday and cover such films as inside lewin davis thank you for smoking silence the frighteners super mario brothers just to name a few So if that sounds interesting, I highly encourage you to check them out in the TV and film category on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find podcasts. Once again, it is the Underrated Podcast, and we thank them for their support. Attention podcast listeners and YouTube watchers. I'm Logan, the host of Mostly Superheroes, a weekly pursuit for the world's best stories with an emphasis on live action superhero stuff. Every week, join me, PC Mike, The Giggler, Scotty Scoop, and Carrie as we talk MCU, DCU, books, TV, movies, and more. MostlySuperheroes.com is where you want to be. Watch us on YouTube, listen where you get your podcasts, and we'll see you Monday, Sunday on Patreon. Enjoy the rest of the show. And we are back on Cinema Jaw. Before we get to our second review and play a little trivia, we threw a few items into the fish tank. And although Phil's been very active here, he picked the right winner in the draft, and he's been giving us facts already throughout on Who Framed Roger Rabbit, he still has more. Let's open up that fish tank. Wait a moment! Who's coming with me besides Flipper? Here. That's a Sicilian message. That means Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Yes, thank you guys. It's been the first week in a while I felt like I could really breathe. Uh, it's crazy. Uh, also, you know, everything's turning up Phil because it smells nicer in the fish tank now that we're getting some air out of here. I- I'm not the most cleanly person, so it gets pretty gross in there. Uh, oh, he, there's uh, a good uh, theater thing. of the mind for everybody. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm not doing a good job of selling myself. I hope a future employer doesn't <laughs> listen to this. They're all listening. They're all listening. <laughs> uh, how long? How long has National Cinema Day been a thing? That's the first one we had in here. As far as I could tell, this is the first one. I thought at so. least in this capacity with the three dollar movie tickets. Um, the celebration of having different three theaters across the country doing the $3 movie tickets was orchestrated and organized by the Cinema Foundation, a nonprofit arts organization, uh, as well as the National Association of Theater Owners earlier this year. Uh, and it was designed kind of as a way to inspire people to to come back to the theaters after the, the pandemic kind of made streaming the main focus, as well as uh, they wanted to give people a chance to to take a chance on films that they wouldn't otherwise see just because of the steep ticket price. So, right, maybe there's this movie that you were on the fence about. Now's your chance to go see it. Uh, or if there's just something you want to catch up on. I know a lot of theaters still have Thor, Love and Thunder. If you didn't see Nope yet, they wanted to give people that chance. I love it. Uh, then our next one, who was the first choice to play Judge Doom in Roger Rabbit? This is this is awesome. Uh, this was such a cool fact to look up. Uh, so there was actually three choices ahead of Christopher Lloyd. All of them, like, at least for me, I can visualize and picture in my brain what this would have looked like if they were picked. And it's totally different. The first choice Robert Zemeckis had was Tim Curry. That would have been sick. I just want to that go would on the record. That would have been awesome. Butts to nuts bonkers. That would have been insane. Yeah. And the the reason that Tim Curry was not selected, which totally checks out, and I, like, yes, I think in some ways they made the right call. The, the official reason is that Tim Curry was thought to have been too terrifying. <laughs> I could see I that. don't disagree with can you imagine he like, was pennywise the, the, I mean yeah the last when 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 uh Christopher Lloyd has like his transformation into a tune that's like a lot of kids nightmare fuel oh yeah, yeah. with Christopher Lloyd Tim Curry would have like there are grown adults who have probably gone into cardiac arrest from seeing that man turn into like the dude would have gone like a hundred and fifty percent on that it, mm -hmm. Yeah, he would have gone all I, Dr. Frankenfurter on it, you know? <laughs> I would have loved to have seen that. Hell Only yeah. Only once in my life and then never again, but I would have loved to have seen that. Uh, the second choice was Christopher Lee, who I also think actually would have been pretty good, mm -hmm. but in mm. a completely different way. He's a good like, villain, sure. Yeah, and also like very goofy, but in a weirdly stoic way. Uh, and... Uh, this is the only person who rejected the right. Tim Curry wanted to do it. The third choice wanted to do it. Honestly, Christopher Lee, what the hell, man? Yeah, what were this you doing at that like, time? Where were you in 88, you know? Yeah, go be Dracula somewhere else, you dweeb. But there's like, this is way cooler. Uh, oh, yeah. And then, well, okay. arguably, but yeah, I think so. The, so Chris... Lee turned it down. Also, butts to nuts bonkers. What kind of idiot? The third pick before Christopher Lloyd was John Cleese. John Cleese was going to be, he's, which he's, also would have been 
totally different. Totally different. See, he, for me, he's too nice. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think he would have been scary enough. That is the exact, that is the official, uh, that is the exact reason he was not picked, is because he is not scary enough. And so they were like, yeah, we can't have Santa Claus over here. Right, he's way too welcoming of a bad guy. And so ultimately, that gray space between John Cleese and Tim Curry, apparently, not apparently, this actually checks out in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. Is Christopher Lloyd. I agree. I agree. He is exactly in that space between John Cleese and and Tim Curry. (laughs) Split the difference. Love it. You got Christopher Lloyd. Was that everything, Phil? That's all we got. Before we close the fish tank, exciting news for our Patreons. Me and Matt were talking today uh, as an extra, something that we can do regularly here for a little while, is we are both very excited to watch the Lord of the Rings series, The Ring of Power, on Amazon Prime. So we are going to watch it as this uh, unfolds, and we will be giving uh, episode recap and reviews to our Patreons. I think that's pretty cool. I agree, and I hope they like him. As we... we're, as we we're record big Tolkien this, fans, you know? Yeah, as we record this, the uh, first episodes are dropping. So uh, we'll be watching as they come out. I'm excited. Yeah, you sent me you sent me this uh, idea, Ryan, and I sent you the gif of uh, uh, Aragorn saying, you've got my sword, <laughs> which I thought was funny. <laughs> we are in. All right, let's close up that fish tank. You bet. Matt, part of the issue I have with Netflix is that they are releasing so many movies, I'm talking 50 to 60 a year, that 90% of them are garbage and have no promotion behind them. They just drop on the service hoping someone will watch. Such is the case with a film called I Came By. But this one looked a little strange, a little different. So Matt and I decided to take a chance on it and give it a spin. Can you think of anyone who might have cause to target you? I was a judge, so yes, one or two people. What difference have we really made? Get inside their homes any time we want. You're 23, and what have you achieved? You need to let me get on with my life. If you want to keep writing, keep me out of it. Whose side do you want? I Came By is a strange little film. If you asked me to define it, by labeling it in a category or by putting it in a genre, I would have a difficult time doing so. The premise is this. George McKay, best known from 1917, plays a young punk in London who likes to break into rich people's homes and vandalize them. He graffitis their living room wall with the saying, I came by. He eventually tries to do this to a rich lawyer played by Hugh Bonneville, best known as the dad in Downton Abbey. But it turns out Hugh's character is more evil than he appears. He has someone locked away in his basement. What unfolds is a bit of a thriller, a bit of a horror film, but it never really commits to either. Where it goes and where it ultimately ends was kind of weird. I'm really not sure if I liked it or not. I will say I like that it was not as predictable as I thought, but at the same time, it felt like the ideas presented were not fully realized. I Came By is not as bad as some of these underpromoted films hitting the service, but by no means did it blow me away. Matt, were, were you on board with I Came By? I might have been a little bit more on board with it than you were just based on your review, but I think you nailed it in saying that 
it, it messes with a lot of different concepts and doesn't fully commit to anyone in particular. But you also nailed it when you said that this movie was unpredictable and it was just totally, totally unpredictable. It keeps going to different places where I just didn't think it would go. And I felt that that it's really hard to trick me. And my wife hates this about me and anybody who's a seasoned uh, consumer of stories, whether that's movies or podcasts or whatever you're, you're interested in TV shows, it, it things become very predictable. Um, we've just seen all the formulas so many times and we know when characters are going to die and why, and who's going to get this and who's going to get that, what their motivations are. We're, we're just like used to all the stories, but this one tricked me, fooled me, got around some of those expectations in a pretty satisfying way. Now, that being said, do I think that they could have done things a little better in terms of a cohesive tone? Yes. Um, but it was at least refreshingly unpredictable. It, I, I totally agree. It's it's a bit sloppy, actually, tonally. It, it, it's, at some points, like I keep saying, I don't know if I, this was supposed to be a horror film. And I'm like, what's weird is... In one in one sense, I like that. I'm glad that I I didn't know what this was exactly going to be. And then, and at the same exact time, I'm like, well, I just wish it would have committed to the horror element, like I I predicted it would. It, it messed it messed me up that way because it's like contradicting myself and what I'm thinking. But there's something that happens to a character, and th these aren't even like twists, like oh, it fooled me. It just went in a direction that's like. Well, wait a minute. Are we ever going to see this character again? You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm, right. I'm sure this character right. is going to come back into the movie. And then they don't. And, and you're then like, they don't. Whoa! They in that way they commit. You know, they like, really did. I was like, I was like stunned. I'm like, so it's really going to go there? I I haven't seen a movie like this in a very long time where it's just like, no, that character is not coming back into the movie. I I was floored. Right. I'll say this without this dancing around spoilers here. This movie is not about who you might think it is about. Like it, where, where it ends is I don't think what people will see from the beginning for the most part, for the most part. I agree. Um, I, I, I think that Hugh Bonneville, I don't know, were you a Downton Abbey fan at all, Matt? I don't know how much you watched Downton Abbey. Uh, zero, but I have a couple of Downton Abbey fans in my family. So, so I, a couple of scenes here. And there. Right. So, so he's the father in Downton Abbey. So it, it's amazing watching this guy be, you know, evil on screen because he's usually so wholesome in Downton Abbey. So that was, I think, the ultimate draw what took me into the movie originally but even that was kind of twisted and weird on where it went he didn't play the normal villain that you would think he would play like what we were were seasoned in our minds to think that that's what oh he was really going to that's do. interesting i if anything i thought he was one of the more contrived characters i think he's 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 straight out of silence of the lambs he's one part buffalo bill one part um hannibal lecter you know like if Buffalo Bill and Hannibal Lecter had a child, it would slow have been... it down. Slow it down. Seriously, I mean, <laughs> he's not that evil. Well, yes, he is. I mean, he's keeping people locked up in his basement for God knows what. And that's another thing I kind of like. We never really completely learn the villain's intentions, you know. Which I also found. I don't know if that's a spoiler, but I found that very refreshing. I, I, I agree with you. My jaw-dropping moment is seeing Hugh Bonneville be evil. And I wrote down in my notes, 
that he plays the evil rich dude as good as Richard Gere because there's something about like the way he's uh, acting when he's at this uh, health club and he's playing racquetball with his friend and his phone gets an alarm that somebody broke into his house and just that that moment of being like that the, the sort of the elitist and you know at this nice club and playing racquetball and then he's got all these dirty secrets going on in his house i like seeing this kind of character from Hugh Bonneville i'd like to see him do this a little bit more yeah for sure it was george mckay that that drew me into this uh movie uh even though he's maybe a little bit of a smaller role than i expected him to be he's great he's a treat i always love seeing this guy more and more jaw-dropping moment for you for me the jaw-dropping moment is uh also to do with the villain when he is in his basement with a saw and he is explaining to another character what he needs to do with the saw and why i found that to be so disturbing i actually rewound the scene a couple of times to watch just his matter of factness about how he's going to use the saw and why is is like chilling. It was chilling. Mm-hmm. It was great. One of the better horror moments of the year so far. Wow. That really got to you, huh? It did. I liked it. I watched it like three times. <laughs> you are twisted. I it really floored me. I was like, whoa, <laughs> I gotta watch that again. It was it was disturbing. How about a movie poster quote? I came by is a riveting thriller with a satisfying end. Mm. I went ahead and gave it the thriller moniker. I think that's where okay. it lands. Thriller is what you would say. Not I necessarily say a I horror would, film. If I had to describe this to a non-seasoned moviegoer, I would say it's a thriller. It's not exactly horror. You know, it's got some twists and turns, a bit of a mystery angle. So yeah. it's you, a thriller. How about this? A thriller with some with a horror flavor. Yes. I okay. would not I wouldn't argue with that. My movie poster quote is this. Downton Abbey meets Amneville Horror. <laughs> I, I think uh, Hannibal Lecter and, and uh, Buffalo Bill is better, but okay. I am going two jaws for I Came By. Middle of the road for me. How about yourself, Matt? Two and a half. Two and a half. Uh, this is uh, one of the better movies I've seen on Netflix um, this year so far. I, 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 I will say for the little promotion that it had, I mean, this literally popped up because I saw a tweet about it and we were still discussing what movie to review this week and literally popped up in a tweet. And then I checked who was in it and what it was about. And I said, Ooh, this looks pretty interesting, but I mean, no promotion behind this movie at all. So right. Same this from Kevin Hart and and Mark Wahlberg. Right. I hope this review turns some people onto the movie because it does deserve some eyeballs on Netflix. So I agree. Two and a half jaws for Matt K two jaws for Rye the movie guy. If you agree or disagree or just want to comment, write us. We are feedback at cinemajaw.com, or you can always find us on Twitter. We are at Cinemajaw. We like to end our podcast playing some fun trivia. Usually it's Matt versus a guest, but when we have no guest, it's always fun to play Stump the Kabinsky. Yeah, just got to make a fool out of Matt. It's the make a fool out of Matt hour, everybody. Grab a in seat. A, in honor of who framed Roger Rabbit, we are playing modern noirs and by modern anything later than who framed roger rabbit so late 80s up until now pretty loose with it yeah okay by modern you mean the last 30 years (laughs) yeah there we go 
Again, Matt needs to get three correct out of the five not to be stumped. Here we go. Question one over to you, Matt. Are you ready? I am. Name the writer and director of 2005's Brick, a high school noir starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It'll come to me. He knows this one. I do. He's thinking. Sometimes his thinking can take a very long time. It can. This is true. But it's going to pain me because I know you've talked about Brick so many times and how much you loved it. It was such a clever movie. With and a uh, bit of trivia here. Me and Matt walked by the director. I shook his hand because we were in a rush after his movie ended to go and record Cinema Jaw. That's how much we care about the Jawheads. We didn't even stay for his Q&A after uh, a premiere here in Chicago. True story. Oh, Rain Johnson. That is him. Thank you for that clue. Yes. We saw Knives Out. Do you remember? And, I do. Uh, he, was yeah, and he was in the hallway. You know <laughs> the little in the hallway, hallway you go through when you're exiting a movie theater and you all kind of bunch up and you throw away your popcorn? That's where we met Rain Johnson. Weird. Yes. <laughs> Nobody wait, else wait. in the theater. Everybody was waiting for the Q&A, but me and Matt got up and, and left and shook his hand really quick. It is Rain Johnson, right? Like, Ryan Johnson. It, it, you can say Ryan Johnson, Rain right. Johnson. Okay. It's Ryan. Okay, Ryan. I know he spells it differently. Yeah. We'll give that one to you. Rain, Ryan, Ryan Johnson. One okay. nothing. Matt, Matt's got one for one. Question okay. two. Matt, name four actors in the movie Seven. Oh, okay. I think I can do this. Gwyneth Paltrow. One. Morgan Freeman. Two. Brad Pitt. Three. Um, Kevin Spacey. Nailed it. It's over. Four. It's only, I only need four? Okay, yeah. Wow. wow. Well done, Matt. Because I don't know where I was going to go after Spacey. I mean, now, that those are the four principles, you know? Yeah, there you go. It is uh, right can now. Can you name another cast member? No. In fact, those were the only four I wrote down. I did the... IMDb search and there were no like I'm, there's other ones that you can start to draw but none of the those are the four big names and you got all of them Peltro was the one I thought might slip slip up I thought you'd get the three gentlemen in the movie but I wasn't sure you'd remember Gwyneth in and there. Rob Schneider Rob Schneider actually pops up in there <laughs> <laughs> he plays one of the cops that'd be hilarious all right um Matt is perfect so far two right question three Matt Name the 2019 noir that starred Ed Norton, Bruce Willis, and Alec Baldwin. It was also directed by Ed Norton. Yeah. Yeah. Um, something about Brooklyn. Um, it's not simply Brooklyn. It's like Mother Brooklyn or something like that. Um, Brooklyn's mother. Uh Am I, in, am I on the right track here, Ryan? You are all over the track. Absolutely, you are on the right track. Motherless Brooklyn. Wow, unbelievable. It is Matt's night. He is not stumped. He never gets the first three correct like this. Three for three, Matt K. Might as well get all five tonight, Matt. You're feeling I'm good here. It. I'm going for it. And, and, and if you get all five, Phil wins a car. <laughs> <laughs> Make it a bike. Tailor it to me. Come on. <laughs> Matt, question four. Name three actors from the 2010 film Shutter Island. Three? Three. Oh, easy. Uh, you got uh, DiCaprio. One. You got Ruffalo. 
two. And you got uh, Jackie Earl Haley. Holy cow, he goes three. <laughs> he is in there. Jackie Earl Haley is in there. You could have also mentioned Michelle Williams, Patricia Clarkson, or Ben Kingsley is also in there as well. That's right. Yeah. So, and they're, they're among others, don't get me wrong, but those were the main players that I wrote down that I thought you would go with. But Matt is all over this one. Unbelievable, folks. He's four for four. Phil, very close to getting a brand new car. That's going to look like a bike. Five. <laughs> Question five, Matt. Jake Gyllenhaal made a noir thriller in 2014 playing a cameraman, trying to catch violent footage and selling it to the news in what movie? Nightcrawler. He is five for five, folks. Wow. Wow. That never happens. It never does. You know your noirs, Matt. Did you Did you think I would get all those right? No, because usually you're not that good with the actors, to be honest. So I thought, I even thought Seven would fool you on, like I mentioned, Peltro. I didn't think you would get her, and I thought that would be a, a miss. I wasn't sure you were going to get Ryan Johnson. I was 50-50 on that. I needed a hint on, on that, that one, to be fair. Yeah. I was 50-50 on that. And same with Shutter Island, because sometimes you draw blanks on people in the movie. So I thought, well, three, I know he's going to get Ruffalo and DiCaprio. I wasn't positive you'd draw another name off of the, the list out of that one. So those were the ones I thought were going to stump you, but I didn't. Hmm. Weird. Very strange. Yeah. Five. Matt. Hey, Phil, enjoy the, enjoy the bike car. I'm gonna. I think they call those motor bicycles something like that. Moped? Hmm. Yeah, something like that. All right, cool. We'll have fun. Well, everybody's a winner since I won on the movie draft, clearly. And you won <laughs> on Stump the Kabinsky. And Phil got a car. <laughs> it's a win we every year. We all win. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's Happy like National Cinema Jaw Day. <laughs> Boy. When it it's rains, like we're on of course. This is awesome. Brings us to the end of a great <laughs> jaw. And first and foremost, got to thank Phil. He edits. He produces. He engineers. Phil, thank you. You both know I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. So thank you guys. It's truly been a delightful, delightful little Cinema John night. Matt, how about the sponsors who've been helping us out? Yeah, thanks to the sponsors. Thanks to Overcast. Thanks to the Underrated Podcast. And uh, you know what? Everyone else who's sponsored us throughout the years, I'm just going to say thanks to them too. And we also want to say thanks to the Patreons. As we mentioned, we are going to be doing recaps and reviews of the Lord of the Rings series on Amazon Prime. We're excited to do that for the Patreons. If you want to join us on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash cinemajaw. Yeah, and, and, and any level of sponsorship unlocks our secret archive of extra bonus content, which we are going to be adding these uh, reviews of Lord of the Rings to, as well as other stuff that comes up. We, we got a lot of fun things on there, so check it out. We sure do. Until next week, I'm Ryan the Movie Guy. I'm Matt Kay. And keep, keep on, on John about, about the movies. movies.